Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, the 23rd of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Voting Tory will cause your wife to have bigger breasts and increase your chances of owning a BMW M3. You heard me right, and perhaps I should apologise for the infantile introduction. But before you think about complaining to the Broadcasting Authority, I must explain that I'm quoting the man expected to be announced as the next leader of the Conservative Party in the United Kingdom at about a quarter to twelve today. Boris Johnson will most likely assume the role of Prime Minister tomorrow and all eyes will be on the man who wondered if Chancellor Angela Merkel had served in East Germany's Stasi secret police, described the French president Emmanuel Macron as a jumped-up Napoleon and as for Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, he said, why isn't he called Murphy like all the rest of them? He is going to be the next Prime Minister, the same person who told women wearing burqas said that it was absolutely ridiculous that people should choose to go around looking like letter boxes. He said that the Libyan city of Sirte would have a successful future as a luxury resort once investors cleared the dead bodies away. And as Johnson is poised to become Prime Minister, I suppose the focus will be on Brexit, but we do know what he thinks of Europe. He claimed that the past 2,000 years had seen failed attempts to recreate the golden age of the Roman Empire. Napoleon, Hitler. Various people tried this out and it ends tragically. The EU, he said, is an attempt to do this by different methods. We'll talk about this with Patrick O'Bean, who's uh, the leader of AIM2 and uh, TD for Meath West. And old enough, I imagine, Patrick O'Bean to remember Boris Johnson's regular appearances on Have I Got News For You? and uh, how he would have regularly made a buffoon of himself. But this is no laughing matter that this man is uh, about to become the next Prime Minister at such uh, a crucial time for all of us in this part of the world. Yes, it's, it's, the quotes that you've given are incredible and they're the type of quotes that would normally sink any politician uh, in that particular situation. And the only other individual that I can think of that actually could use quotes like that and get away with it and maybe even have their position strengthened would be Donald Trump. So I think there's, um, there's some links uh, with regards Johnson's approach to politics uh, and Trump's uh, approach to politics. And even, you know, there's, there's many more issues. There's the the liaisons he's had with so many people uh, over his time, the, the lying to Tory leaders uh, when he was an MP, uh, there was being sacked for dishonesty, and um, misappropriating qu- quotes when he was a journalist, uh, and having his, his newspaper sued mm. uh, as a result. Um, there was a, a chilling tape with a conversation uh, with a friend where he talks about uh, beating up a journalist, uh, and that came to light as well. But he was actually questioned on, have I got news for you, on that particular quote, and he uh, employed, I suppose, his persona as a 
a bungling uh, buffoon um, and that seems to just endear him more with his uh, fans. Um, so in many ways, Boris Johnson is one of those few politicians that's actually untouchable, if, uh, if you like, with regards what they actually say. And I think one of the reasons that he resonates with so many in Britain is there's a backlash uh, amongst so many people with regards to what's considered politically correct. Mm. And uh, the likes of Boris Johnson and obviously uh, Trump challenge that political correctness and people who are angered by that political correctness then see them as uh, somebody to follow uh, and their heroes. But there's a, a major danger in all of this because if you take the, away the, the, uh, the personality and we take away the facts that in, in any of his engagements, he never really seems to have really control over the detail of his brief. Uh, you have a situation now where in three months' time, um, in, on the 31st of October, uh, Britain is actually due to leave uh, the EU. Mm. And, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge for us is exactly what that will mean for our economy and the, the economic and research. Yeah, and he, he, he believes he, he can renegotiate all of this, but with whom or with whom uh, uh, in terms of, is there anybody left that he hasn't insulted yet? Well, it's, it's, it's impossible to see how he could renegotiate this, um, be, to be honest, because the Europe, like, Theresa May made three efforts at least um, to negotiate, renegotiate this with the European Union, the European Union health firm. Um, he's in a major problem as well in that his own parliament has a majority for nothing. There's about a third of the of the parliaments that want no Brexit, a third mm. that wants a soft Brexit and a third that wants a um, a hard Brexit and each two thirds are happy to vote against the other at, at each any time. So uh, there is no majority in the, the British House of Parliament uh, for any one of those particular solutions currently. And if that's the case, all he can do is either suspend the House of, of, of Parliament in, mm. in London, uh, and in that situation, hopefully, like from his perspective, maybe force something through. Or the other, the other there, alternative... There, there's a chance he won't become Prime Minister, though, isn't there? I mean, a very small chance. I mean, Alan Duncan, the Foreign Minister, resigned his position, uh, and uh, that, uh, I think, uh, might be the first of many resignations if uh, Boris is announced as uh, the leader of the Conservative Party today. But he, he wants a vote of confidence in Mr Johnson before he becomes Prime Minister. Uh, so far, that has not been allowed. But if he does become Prime Minister, it seems as though uh, the Chancellor, Philip Hammond, and the Justice Secretary, David Gawke, at a minimum are going to be the next resignations. Yeah, it looks like there's going to be a number of uh, Tory ministers who will just simply won't be able to serve um, under him. Now, I actually think that's quite interesting because um, in Britain, uh, ministers will actually put their own political views ahead of their own political ambition often. I could never see that happen in Ireland where a, a person would refuse ministerial office on the basis of uh, their, their actual views. Um, but even even the Labour Party are now considering a no-confidence vote in the Conservative uh, government, uh, maybe as early as Thursday. And uh, all you need is a handful of Conservative rebels to actually defeat the government there. Mm. And if that was the case, that could trigger an early election. So like, by having this leadership contest, we're not moving from the circus that is the Tory party uh, to a more stable situation, for sure. We're actually just continue on, continuing the circus that is the Tory party. But the, the major worry I have in all of this is the, the egos of the Tories and the, the circus that we see happening within the Tory party currently have a massive effect over what's happening here in Ireland. 
And for Ainthu, as, as an All-Ireland Party and as a United Ireland Party, mm. it really makes a strong case for this country to start to work on the project of reuniting this country. It does not make sense that the likes of Boris Johnson are determining whether we in Ireland can move people, product or services around this country. That, you know, that there are so many people, especially along the border, who are now you know, worrying about whether or not they can properly trade or move around right. the country. Right. 400 million people cross the border in, uh, in Ireland on a weekly basis. There's, there's a service or a product sold every five seconds. And the future of all of that is determined by people who care nothing about uh, this country and know even less about it. All right. And I suppose uh, Boris Johnson faces many challenges and many criticisms and many of uh, the criticisms of him are very legitimate. Uh, I mean, it's not inconceivable to think of London Metropolitan Police being called to 10 Downing Street because of a domestic incident uh, after more recent uh, incidents, uh, and uh, that would be undoubtedly a great embarrassment for him. But uh, what could be his biggest stumbling block is the DUP. Uh, and you talk about uh, uh, an all island uh, Ireland, uh, but uh, the DUP uh, will face into the reality that Boris Johnson might introduce uh, abortion and same sex marriage, uh, which uh, they vehemently oppose. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the DUP are actually posed with a very strong question. Um, for, for the last uh, two years, the DUP have refused to introduce a Irish Language Act in the North of Ireland. And I'm not talking about a, a very deep or strong Irish Language Act, a fairly uh, a mild language act, which would simply give Irish language speakers in the North of Ireland some level of rights to use this. And the DUP have dug in to stop that language act come into play. So now the DUP have um, the, the, the situation where abortion and same-sex marriage could be introduced. And the question then becomes, you know, which do they dislike the most? Is it the Irish Language Act or is it abortion or same-sex marriage? I have a hunch to a certain extent that the DUP will actually start maybe to, to work more positively, just from what I heard from Arlene Foster over the weekend, that they may actually look to work more positively with regards trying to get the um, the Stormont Assembly up um, before um, October 21st. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, there will be many within Sinn Féin, um, many, of the, many of those who seek to have abortion introduced uh, in, in the north of Ireland, who now will be little, a little bit more coy about actually bringing back um, the Stormont Assembly. So there'll be less there will be less interest amongst some of the Sinn Féin members uh, in bringing back the Northern Assembly. So it doesn't necessarily bring the project of uh, reinstituting the executive any further along in, in the totality of it. But, you know, on, on that question, it's obviously clear to me with regards how important the Good Friday Agreement is, how important devolution is, and how important, you know, Irish self-determination is. The people of the North of Ireland should decide those issues, not some um, minister in our, our MP in Burnley or Ipswich or Birmingham, who again know nothing of the North and have no mandate in the North of Ireland. Ainthu is a party of self-determination. We should be, we in Ireland, should be determining these rules and laws ourselves. OK, well, it would seem as though British politics is so fragmented and fragile at the moment that we're on the brink of an election and Boris Johnson may or may not lead the Tories in the campaign. And I suppose the only real question is if the election will be before or after Brexit. Um, It's very, very difficult to foresee what's going to happen. It really is... um, 
there's uh, three or four number of options that could happen. One of them, as you say, is an election for sure. Another one is is, is potentially a, a referendum, um, and 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 it is still a hard Brexit is still a chance. And it's just worth reminding ourselves what a hard Brexit would, would mean. Over a ten-year period, a hard Brexit bill would add up to a hundred billion euros for this state. And when you when you think about it, that the bank bailout cost the state 64 billion euros and how much of an impact that had on our lives uh, from everything from the health service to to the provision of housing to the provision of of uh, technology and infrastructure a 100 billion euro reduction in the gdp over 10 years to this state would be would be the outcome of a hard brexit and that's why it's really important that finnegale do not uh, allow for a situation where and um, there's a hard Brexit on the island of Ireland. And the only way that can be achieved is either through the use of the backstop, uh, that is currently the, the, the red line uh, for mm-hmm. the European Union, or that we start to move towards uh, Irish unity. And there's another point here, because sometimes we speak about Brexit in, in terms of where we have no influence over what's happening in Britain. But what we do have influence is how to build a stronger all-Ireland economy. Mm. And, you know, right now there is an all-Ireland economy. There's a, a, a lot of enterprise and trade that's done across the border okay. on, an, on an annual basis. But we can do far more. We can make it easier for people to trade north-south at the moment so that, you know, if Brexit, that hard Brexit does come in, at least we will have some elements to mitigate against that okay. hard Brexit. You, you, you lost me there um, for a minute. You're saying uh, that the backstop is the way to stop the hard Brexit unless it fails. If it fails, what are you saying, Dan? Well, you know, right now you have a, a poll carried out by RTE which said 77% of the population of the South wanted a United Ireland. Mm. BBC did a poll recently which said 43% of the population of the North wanted a United Ireland in a case of a hard Brexit. Mm. And that was just about 3% behind those who advocated... But are you saying have a poll now? No, what I'm saying is actually... What Ain Two are saying is that we should actually develop a new Ireland forum. And it's interesting that Mark Daly no. from Fianna Fáil actually has joined us in, in saying mm. and a new Ireland forum would mean that we would invite all of the political hues that exist on the island of Ireland and ask them to sit down and okay. start to work out how we can actually develop towards okay. that United uh, Ireland. Uh, and we heard a lot from Mark Daly yesterday, but just go back on what you're saying. You're saying that the backstop uh, could prevent a hard Brexit, uh, unless it fails. Uh, And it will fail if uh, the British say we won't accept uh, backstop. Uh, So if if it fails, what then? Well then, I believe that this government has no other option but to actually start to pursue uh, Irish unity. After after a hard Brexit? Well, in, 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 in the case of a hard Brexit, it's Absolutely, the logic. It's like, and it's not just there, there, there is saying no, that the majority of the population in the south are, are saying that. But I mean, it seems that there's only two way, or well, either as you say that uh, the backstop works, or we give up the idea of a, a backstop, or um, the British call the well, whole thing what off. What um, I mean, they're, 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 they're the only realistic ways of avoiding a hard Brexit now, are they not? The only solution to a hard border is actually no border. Uh, and that's uh, to, to make sure that we can allow for trade. Twenty uh, percent of the output of the southern economy goes north. Yeah, but thirty-five percent of the output of the northern economy comes south. Fair and enough. All but, of that but has been determined. Do do by the, uh, um, just one more point. Mm. All of that is being determined by the craziness in the Tory Party in London. Mm. You and I just had a conversation over the, you know, the the, the circus that is Boris Johnson, mm. and mm. yet 
we are saying, you know, that Boris Johnson should have a say over how this island functions. And, and what Ainsley was saying is that actually Irish people would make far better decisions with regards to the development of this but island. How, how do you get there? This is the question that... Well, the first step is what you, the first step you do is, is you create a new Ireland forum where you get all of the politicians around the country to sit down. Now, what we're saying in... in the the in, deadline here is the 31st of October. Uh, yes. And that's what we're facing into. That's the cliff edge. That's the hard border. That's the the the, the uh, hard Brexit. So, what do we do to avoid a hard border? Well, unfortunately, these these decisions are not in our hands. So we can't uh, we cannot avoid a hard border if Britain decides to proceed with it in in the short term. In the long in the medium term, we can avoid the hard border by making sure that we as a country start to develop in a unitary fashion, that we start to make sure we have an all-Ireland economy that's properly functioning, that we start to work out a health service that works across the island of Ireland, an education service that works, that we start to develop infrastructure that actually, you know, uh, traverses the border in a way that makes sure all the regions of this country uh, are functioning and working. Uh, You know, I would say that what we need to do is to devolve far more power from London to the uh, the Northern Assembly, that's the North South Ministerial Council mm-hmm. needs to become far more powerful and and have far more influence. And that actually the Assembly and the 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 Oireachtas sits together on a regular basis to give oversight to that new strengthened North South Ministerial Council and to actually hold it to account, so that we have a, a proto uh, All Ireland government starting to form through that. North South Ministerial Council. If the if the government, the only political party uh, not talking about this now is Fine Gael. Uh, even Fianna Fáil are starting to come on board through the likes of Mark Daly in the realisation that our future is strengthened if we work together at North and South. Mm, uh, I'm not sure Mark Daly speaks uh, for Fianna Fáil in that sense. He certainly is a Fianna Fáil senator, uh, but along with Eamon O'Quave, uh, got slapped on the wrist uh, for meddling in Northern politics not too long ago. Uh, we'll leave it there for the moment, though. Uh, undoubtedly, we'll have much talk before the 31st of October, and I would imagine possibly beyond that. But thank you indeed for joining us uh, here this morning. Padre Tobin, the leader of the AIN2 party, a TD for me. West. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Royal College of uh, Physicians is uh, calling on uh, the government to increase uh, the price of cigarettes uh, by a euro in the next budget. It's also calling on uh, the government uh, to ban the sale of e-cigarettes uh, to children under the age of 18. John Mallon is a spokesperson for Forest Ireland, uh, which describes itself as a smokers' rights group. And uh, he's on the line. And a very good morning to you, John. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Now, I'm sure you're opposed to the euro uh, on top of uh, the price of a, a packet of cigarettes, which is now 12.70. That would bring it what, to what, 13.70? 13.70, yeah, the, the most expensive in Europe. What a lot of smokers are doing, Michael, is they're sourcing them, obviously, elsewhere. Um, you, you know, they've just gone, the, the price has gone to such a ridiculous extent. Uh, it, you know, it, it would be the equivalent, if you like, in motoring of saying that the entry-level motor car, a small Japanese motor car, uh, would be about 70 or 80,000 uh, euro. That's basically what they're doing with it. So, you know, people would probably bring in the cheaper imports in that case, uh, and that's what smokers have been doing. And um, the, the interesting thing, they, they never say uh, where the revenue is going to come from in the absence of, of the tobacco revenue. The, the revenue from, from tobacco was running at 1.5 billion a year. People don't understand that. It's huge. That would be to the revenue commissioners. 
Um, it's now down under the billion mark. And the taxes are just going to have to be raised from elsewhere to try and make that up. Um, you know, they, they, they tamper with the market and, and uh, there, there's unnecessary fallout. Right, uh, but it's an awful lot of money. I, I mean, how many cigarettes uh, can you bring in cheaply from abroad? Well, from the EU, there's no limit. Um, no, having said that, there, there's, there's a sort of a practicality that comes in. If you if you buy in the EU, for example, in Brussels, uh, the capital of, of the EU, cigarettes are five euro a pack there. Mm. And uh, if you buy uh, a year supply, say you're smoking two packs a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Uh, if, so if you if you You'd buy, spend about ten thousand here doing that. Yeah, we're about seven thousand. If you if you if you well, bought at thir- that amount, at thirteen seventy, you'd spend about ten thousand. Exactly. Yeah. But if you bought that amount of them there and brought them home for the year, uh, as long as you have a VAT receipt from Europe, that's the big thing. It's because we're an EU member, and if asked at the airport, mm. uh, you say that for your own consumption, they represent EU. If they believe you. Uh, they, yes, they will. Yeah, they'll, they'll let you through with that. So, but that's fine at one level. However, I do, I do remember I rang the revenue one day, and the guy said to me, "However, if you're towing a forty-foot container after you and you're saying that for your own consumption, we won't believe that." And that, of course, makes sense. You know. Yeah. Well, they may not believe that uh, because uh, you could obviously sell them at, at quite a substantial profit exactly. here, given how expensive yeah, they are. Exactly. So they may yeah, be taken the, off you, and you may even be convicted. Yeah. That's where the crime is. Uh, mm. The crime is in selling tobacco, bringing it in cheaply and selling it, and that's understandably a crime. I suppose it, it, it highlights the level of the addiction in that you're willing to either spend €10,000 a year on cigarettes, which just go up and smoke, or you're willing to take these chances and go abroad and smuggle them in or uh, to, to risk being accused of smuggling them in or whatever the case may be, and that's all down to the drug that's in them, the nicotine, which is in the e-cigarettes. Why on earth would children want to use e-cigarettes. Well, no, it, it, here's the interesting thing. This, I'll make two points on this. First of all, uh, the anti-smoking lobbies, who I've been debating with for nearly 10 years, um, always maintain that smoking starts early, that, that children take up smoking at 13, 14 years of age. Uh, and it was the same in my own case. In fact, when I took up smoking, I was 12. Um, and it is something that children try early. And if they get hooked on them, they get hooked on them, and that's it, and they're a smoker for life, or could conceivably be. That has always been the argument. Now, e-cigarettes are designed... The Chinaman, 10, nearly 11 years ago now, who designed these, was a guy who smoked, and he wanted to design something uh, for himself um, that, that would help him to quit smoking, something that, was, that looked like and tasted like a cigarette, but didn't do all the damage. And again, for 10 years... I have been hearing the anti-smoking lobby saying the damage arises from the smoke. And this, of course, is absolutely right. Mm. If you burn any naturally occurring substance in nature, you change its chemical properties. And the resultant smoke, for example, diesel burning in an engine of a car, the exhaust fumes are carcinogenic. In other words, they're potentially cancer-causing. The same with barbecue, with the charcoal in the barbecue or the coal in the fire. Uh, the resultant smoke is where your dangers lie. And it was the same with uh, cigarettes. So the e-cigarette doesn't have tobacco, number one. There's no tobacco in it. And number two, nothing is lit and has this chemical properties changed. Uh, it's a liquid that's heated, and mm. what looks like smoke is in fact steam, which is inhaled and exhaled uh, from the smoker's perspective. But it has nicotine in it. And, it has nic- and nicotine mm. is a perfectly natural substance. 
tomatoes, potatoes and peppers have nicotine in them and that the tobacco, uh, the anti-tobacco lobby in fact recommend uh, going to the pharmacy and getting nicotine in chewing gum and nicotine in patches. Nicotine to, to help you give up smoking. Sorry? To help you give up smoking. Which is what these things do, exactly the same. Yes, but the concern here is children under the age of 18 who have never smoked starting to use e-cigarettes and getting hooked on nicotine. No, no, no. Well, you see, getting hooked on nicotine, you you know, you have children at that age um, taking caffeine in coffee and getting hooked in caffeine. And the head of Ash UK compared nicotine and caffeine uh, as as being about the same thing. So you think it would be wrong to prohibit children from buying e-cigarettes? No, I think it needs to be better thought out. If you're going to identify well, smokers, smokers begin mm. at a very young age, uh, are you going to, go, going to let them, go? you can't prevent them, go ahead and, and smoke cigarettes uh, and maybe develop a taste? Sure they, they're not going to smoke at uh, uh, 1370. I mean, uh, what child has 10,000 euro a year? Uh, so... Um, <laughs> They, somehow the kids today manage to have money for all sorts of things. I don't know where they're getting it. Well, do you believe they should be allowed to buy cigarettes? No, I don't. Do you believe I they should be allowed to buy e-cigarettes? And again, I'm not, I'm not being critical of this idea of banning the sale of, of, uh, of e-cigs to under-18s. I just think that they better think it out more clearly because... I think they've thought it out pretty clearly in that they're saying, why allow children uh, to take up uh, an addictive substance like that? Well, they, they can take up an addictive substance in coffee if they wish. That's quite addictive as well. Or chocolate. Can it's be quite not the addictive. same type of addiction. Sorry, it's not the same type of addiction. But it's exactly the same type of addiction. Addiction is just a strong habit of, of doing something regularly do, and, and persistently. Do, do, um, do, do, do you see anybody walking around with chocolate bars strung around their neck? How you carry a chocolate bar is a little bit different than other things. Mm. But Michael, let me ask you a question: Do you smoke? I don't think it matters for no, the sake it, of the for the sake of the conversation. It, it doesn't matter. For and the sake I, of the conversation, look, it, it just it, it, for for a non-smoker. My point is, for a non-smoker, if you walk past one of these vape shops mm. and you looked in at all the offerings, you wouldn't be tempted to go in there. The the e-cigarette is designed to help. Uh, as smokers to quit. Mm. It isn't the only help that's out there. There okay. are the pharmaceutical nicotine products. Uh, so, so you don't agree with people just walking in off the street uh, and deciding, I'd like to try one of these e-cigarettes. You, you think that would be foolish. So why allow children to do that? No, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing that you allow them. I'm saying that if on the one side... Well, why not ban them from doing it? But if on the one side you argue that children... I mean, for example, if you had a 13 or 14-year-old child at home would you prefer, if, 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 if it was going to be definitely one or the other, would you prefer your children to take up cigarettes or take up an e-cig? Why does it have to be one or the other? But if it had to be. But I mean, if it's, if it's legal to use the e-cigarettes, uh, you've no choice. You can't stop them, can you? Well, it, I mean, it's You can't illegal. go down to the shop and can't complain. You can't go to the authorities and complain. No, but it's, it's, it's illegal mm. uh, for them to take up smoking. And yet that's what, and it always has been. Yeah, but you could report the shop to the HSE, couldn't you? Sorry? You could report the shop to the HSE if, they, if you knew who had sold the cigarettes to the child. Of course you can. Yes. And, and they, they, they can't do that in the case of, of uh, the e-cigarettes because the vaping shops are legally entitled to sell the cigarettes or the e-cigarettes. Are really Michael, I'm not arguing against you. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that it's a bad thing that they ban it uh, to under 18. But the one thing that they're not thinking of is what they've said all the way along the line, that smokers start young. Uh, and now, if that's the case, would you prefer the young child to pick up an e-cigarette 
Uh, it's, a, it's a bad name for mm. it because it's not a cigarette. There's no tobacco in it. They don't light it up. They don't have the danger of all the smoke, which is where all the problems come from. <coughs> would you prefer them to do that? Uh, or would you prefer them to light up an ordinary cigarette? Well, I, I because think, one way or another, you can't prevent the kids from doing what they want to. Well, that's the objective, I, I think, of uh, these uh, public health measures. But uh, we have to leave there for the moment, John. We've run out of time. And thank you All for right, your Michael, time, thank as you always. Much. John Mallon, spokesperson for Forest Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Mr. Michael Darcy is calling on Irish-based insurers to step in to cover the leisure and tourism market following the withdrawal of the main insurer for the leisure sector in this country. That is a company that has announced it will withdraw from the market over the weekend. Leisure Insurer is underwritten by AXA XL. Let's talk about the consequences of this again with Linda Murray, who owns Huckleberry's Den Play Centre in Navan and a spokesperson for the Play Activity and Leisure Ireland Group and also a director of the board of the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Good morning to you, Linda, and thanks for joining us here on the programme. There's a, a lot of companies that are in a, a lot of trouble. This company is not going to give any new quotes and is withdrawing, which will leave people uh, particularly in the bouncy castle industry it would seem in real difficulties uh, in the coming months and indeed their employees That's right, good morning um, and it's not just bouncy castles unfortunately, it's every single type of adventure and leisure centre as we know it I just saw an article there now about four adventure centre down in Cork um, won't, won't have cover going forward and, and they're looking at, at potential closure um, and that's the first of many, we did another uh, pet farm close there on Saturday as well because of it um, I read as well this morning a quote saying uh, potentially uh, a crisis in this industry. We are already in a crisis and this has just been more like the nail in the coffin to be honest with you. Um, leisure Insurer would cover probably over 90% of adventure and leisure businesses in Ireland. It's the only um, broker that we have in the UK to go through um, to get to XL and they've stopped as, they, as you've said they're going to continue on with policies that are going to expire <clears throat> excuse me but some of them will expire in the next week some will expire in the next six months and from then they're not going to write any more insurance in Ireland um, there is no other options apart from going down the self-insure or group scheme route um, so um, it's it's just detrimental to um, leisure industry in Ireland Arcade Mila Falls of Ireland's Ancient East and our Wild West and all that and mm. welcoming tourists in like we talk a lot about bouncy castles and kids and communions and play centres what about the corporate groups Mm. The people that are going out for team events, the stag groups that we uh, get over to Ireland, the hen parties that we get, where are they going to go and have a bit of fun? Yeah. We're going to leave them just sitting in pubs. Well, you know, uh, apparently, adventure tourism is going to be hit. Uh, <laughs> event companies, bouncy castles, as we say, leisure centres, yeah. yoga classes, soccer teachers, drama classes, play centres, uh, and leisure companies. Uh, it's but basically anywhere where you go yeah. and have fun. Okay, uh, but uh, you can't be uh, making claims uh, because it's uh, the claims uh, that are part of uh, the reason for this company deciding to pull out of the Irish market. Uh, they've saying, said that the excessive compensation payments are to blame for their difficulties. Yeah, I mean, we know, we've, we've seen all the reports and we know we're, we're, we're next to our neighbours were four and a half times higher than what um, their compensation claims are. We're, we're, we're the highest in Europe. Um, we're just uh, we, we, we dish out massive amount of awards, and these have to come down now. As we spoke about previously, Michael, um, the Judicial Council bill was passed in the last two weeks, um, and what we're what we're urging now is that 
um, the uh, judiciary actually sit down as a matter of absolute urgency and come up with the fair awards um, mm. uh, for fair claims. Um, this could potentially take two and a half years to actually get through. Um, but if they can sit down as soon as possible, not think about the summertime and just sit down and get this done and get these awards decided on as a matter of urgency, it would encourage more insurers to come in from Europe. Mm. And you know what? It might even encourage our own Irish underwriters to insure us. As I've mentioned again before, we haven't had insurance in Ireland and leisure in over 12 years, could be even 20 years. Um, I saw Minister Darcy this morning urging Irish insurers to look at the leisure industry. But what they're saying is is that unless reform happens, that it's not a sector that they plan on getting into. Um, so we would encourage them with these reforms that are coming in to, to have a look at us and have a look at the leisure industry. But of course, they're waiting to see what the awards are going to come down by. Is this going to come as a bolt out of the blue to some people who, let's say, are due to renew their premium in August uh, and can't because uh, the uh, company aren't uh, doing renewals uh, and there's nowhere else to go and uh, they may not be able to continue as a business and provide uh, the service uh, that they had been uh, but are, are locked into other contracts such as leases and so on. That's the thing and it'll cost absolutely thousands of jobs. Um, th- this is what insurance is doing I think you raised a really good point. Um, when you're thinking of taking out a loan which usually you take out over five, or four or five years when you're in business at least it's four years and nine months minimum. Um, you know, you get 10-year leases and 15-year leases. You're never thinking that equation, will I still have insurance in a year or two? That doesn't even enter your mind. Mm. It didn't up until about a year ago. And now that's a huge factor. In my own business, I couldn't invest in the building. Uh, Huckleberry's Den actually closed for two and a half weeks. It's moved now to another premises. But that's because the landlord wanted to know what I was doing going forward. And I couldn't tell him because I didn't know where I'd get insurance or not. So that's what it does to businesses. And I had 12 people employed. I've managed to hang on to them by moving, but I was one of the lucky ones. I managed to get into this group scheme that we spoke about before. Um, but what the other businesses are going to do, I have no idea. They'll probably end up trying to form a group scheme. It takes about a year to get that sorted out. But, Michael, they shouldn't have to do that. Mm. You should be able to go out and get insurance like you can get your ESB or your gas. You know, they, they, should, they just shouldn't have to do this. This is very serious. And very sudden, uh, I think the other point that uh, I was trying to make there, because uh, they say that they won't uh, be offering renewals from the end of uh, the month. That's in a, a week or so. Yeah, I, I, I suppose I'm not incredibly surprised about it. Um, I was told by them in January myself that I wasn't going to get insurance going forward. So um, I I, I kind of, I suppose I had my suspicions about it. I hoped it wouldn't happen. But I, I suppose I, personally I was a bit suspicious about whether they were going to stay in Ireland or not. They did keep saying that we weren't profitable because of the high uh, payouts. Mm. Um, even going back a couple of years ago, my broker would have said to me, look, there's a little bit of rumblings, you know, with Leisure Insurer, they're just not happy with the amount of payouts. So that's why we started this two years ago. We could see this type of thing coming in the alliance. It starts with motor and then it moves into public liability. I mean, you saw a case there a couple of weeks ago, Michael, where a child was stuck in a lift yeah. for 45 minutes with his dad and got 45,000 euro, euro for every minute he was in there and he was with his dad. It's these type of payouts. And I'm not saying the child wasn't traumatised mm. in any way, but it's just a very, very high payout for something like that. And they're the type of things that are discouraging insurance companies from coming into Ireland. Right. And that's why we need the reform. Yeah, uh, and the minister has uh, been calling on uh, insurers uh, to reduce the premiums uh, as well because uh, he's saying uh, that payouts have uh, reduced by over 9%. Yeah, but that doesn't take into account uh, private uh, awards or solicitors' uh, uh, awards. So that only take that only takes into account the people who have made it to court, which is only 5% of all payouts. So it doesn't take into account PIAB or the solicitors' payouts or the... Um, 
uh, private insurers pay it. But having said mm. that, if uh, awards are down by 9%, I don't think anybody wouldn't welcome a 9% discount on their premium, um, although we're not seeing that. Now, again, having said that, I have one um, person rang me during the week and said, Linda, I'm paying €77,000. This is a leisure, a leisure mm. centre, €77,000. Yeah. So if he gets reduced by 9%, he's going to end up paying seventy. Now, mm. that's still way too much in insurance for a leisure a leisure centre. Mm. But I'm sure he'd welcome saving £7,000 in insurance in a year. Yeah. So, yes, with, uh, we do see that there's a, a, a little bit of a story there in terms of... Um, public liability uh, awards coming down uh, but that's not reflective on our premiums yet and, and we, again we would, we would urge the Irish insurers to do that and we wonder why it's so expensive to live in this country I mean everything is expensive but uh, uh, the price of everything uh, is influenced by the cost of insurance yeah absolutely I mean um, in our um, business in the zone in Alvin, we, I just actually commented to you guys yesterday we're open for and a half years we haven't raised our prices in 12 and a half years but our insurance is going up by 150% and um, it's very hard to do that. You might think, you know, you can explain to customers well, insurance is going up, but you can't, you know, because mm. people are working really hard for their money. And um, the last thing you want to do as soon as they walk in the door is say, by the way, our, insur- our prices have gone up because of insurance. You just don't want to start off what they're about to do, which is fun-wise, by giving them mm. a negative. And uh, to be honest with you, you're not really comfortable talking about insurance either because you don't want to be kind of putting this in people's minds or the mindset, but that is what's happening. We're struggling big time because we've everything going up. We've rates, we've rent, we've minimum wage, we've um, insurance, there's a lot of things increasing. But we're handling the other things, it's the insurance we can't seem to handle. It's just going up too much. In the play centre sector, our insurance has gone up 567% in five years. In what perfectly normal business society, it's 567% okay in five mm. years, it's not. No, I don't think so. Uh, but you continue uh, to provide the facility that uh, sees a lot of children having fun in the zone in Navan. Thank you, Linda, for joining us again. Linda Murray Thank of you. Huckleberry's Den Play Centre in the zone in Navan, a spokesperson for the Play Activity and Leisure Ireland Group and also director of the board of the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. Seamus from Dundalk thinks, Michael, we may prepare for the worst if Boris Johnson is elected Conservative leader today Mm. and then Prime Minister. He feels our only hope is that there will be a general election in the UK that might put Brexit on hold for a while, say uh, Seamus. Okay, well, he, he might lighten up the whole thing and uh, he may give us the odd laugh. Tom says, if there was another referendum in the UK, Michael, do you think that the majority would still vote for Brexit? I don't know. They could? Mm, they could. I, I have a feeling that... Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Eileen can't understand why the UK would want a hard Brexit as it will not be good for their economy and will create all sorts of problems on so many levels. Mm. She's not an economist herself, Mm. but she cannot see the benefits of it at Mm. all. Well, they say that they don't, you see. This is the whole thing. They're saying that they don't want a hard Brexit. They want to do a deal. They want a trade deal with Mm. the European Union and so on, but they're not going to split up uh, the Union of the United Kingdom. Anne is worried about the world we live in. Mm. We have Donald Trump in the USA, who was very unpredictable, Michael. Mm -hmm. And now it looks like we are going to have Boris as the next 
Prime Minister in the UK. I find it all very worrying mm. and just wondering what is behind these people being elected. Yeah, people. Pe- people <laughs> who know. live in America and uh, yes, yes. The United Kingdom. On the same yeah. note, mm. Jim says we have Trump in the US and yep. now we'll have Johnson running in the UK. Two running good, the UK. Two good friends, yes. And having mm. sole responsibility for navigating Brexit. Jim says it's like a rerun of a spitting image episode and would be laughable if it wasn't so serious. Mm, okay, yeah, well, spitting image, uh, back then it was uh, Thatcher and Reagan, wasn't it? John from Drogheda mm. says that the dragging out of Brexit is making life a misery for all of us, Michael. Mm. If it's going to happen, let it be done so, oh. we, can, so we can all get on with our lives. Mm. Many businesses are putting plans on hold. They have done for the past year, Michael, because they're waiting to see what is going to happen. A decision needs to be made. Hopefully it will happen on October 31st and if it's a hard border that nobody in Ireland wants and everybody is and everybody fears then we will just have to deal with it but it does need to be resolved says okay. John yeah well careful what you wish for because uh, I don't know but I, I, I don't think that's what we want uh, regardless of how tedious the conversation yes. is and how long dragged out the whole thing is uh, I think this could uh, impoverish us. Uh, we could be going into a very serious recession and uh, you could be very sorry that it happens if it happens Yes, that and, way. and yeah. every time mm-hmm. it's deferred, you can almost hear the collective sigh of relief that, mm. it's, you know, that there's still time to salvage something. Exactly, that's it, yeah. Uh, Margaret says that what worries her is the little regard she feels some UK politicians have towards Ireland. When you watch some of the interviews on the television, mm. they just don't seem to think that we matter, that we're almost a nothing to, da- to them. Mm. And it doesn't seem that they really care for the north of Ireland either, yeah. says Margaret. All right. Well, I suppose that we're only paddies in the eyes of uh, some of uh, the politicians in the United Kingdom. It's probably a long time since uh, we've heard talk of Paddies uh, in the UK. It was a regular turn of phrase used to describe uh, the Irish. I, I think Boris Johnson probably meant something different when he asked why Leo Radker isn't called Murphy uh, and yes. <laughs> was referring uh, to uh, the Taoiseach's heritage and uh, his background, uh, which uh, feeds into a lot of uh, the other statements uh, that Boris ha- has made over the years. Although Boris Johnson uh, can, uh, on occasion, be a good diplomat and has good relations, I, I think, with some countries. Uh, I think the Portuguese uh, will wonder, though, about his relationship uh, with uh, Portugal. Let's uh, hear a little bit of a, a promo that Boris was doing on his uh, Twitter account from Lisbon. Hi, folks. Boris Johnson, Foreign Secretary. I'm here in Lisbon, in Portugal, to celebrate what is the oldest alliance and friendship in diplomatic history, going back to 1386, going forward through the Napoleonic Wars, through to the Second World War, where, of course, this was a, a place that... Uh, was, uh, I was trying to think what, what happened in the same world. Well, I cut this. What, what do we do in the same world? It, it was neutral, wasn't it? The Azores. What do we do in the Azores? Hi, folks. I'm Boris Johnson. I'm the Foreign Secretary. I'm here in Lisbon. Portugal is our fourth biggest trading partner. Trading partner. We, are, we are Portugal's fourth largest. Portugal is not our fourth largest. Okie okay, okay. Hi, folks. Boris Johnson. I'm here in Lisbon. James Bond himself was said to have been born in Estoril. And today... James Bond. 
So he wasn't born. Well, you can't put one view on No, 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 I know. And then correct the idea, me. the idea for James Bond was born. The idea for the James idea Bond for was born. The idea for James Bond was born. It's a great friendship. It's a great partnership. It's built on shared values, and we're going to take it forward. All right. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Mic off. The tyranny right. of the Twitter feed is relentless. Hi, folks. Boris Johnson here. I'm in Paris, which is, of course, our closest European. That's, uh, just, Michael, uh, I hadn't heard that before. Uh, well, thanks uh, to the BBC for <laughs> that. Uh, some uh, of uh, the recordings uh, Boris Johnson has made in Lisbon, I think, for the most part, uh, that perhaps uh, he'd have preferred that we hadn't heard. OK. Uh, we'll move away from that for the moment because I'm sure we're going to be talking about mm. plenty over the, the coming hours and uh, tomorrow and the day after and probably the day after that uh, on vaping. We'll move to that one. Mm. Anne backs the call to ban the sale of e-cigarettes to under 18s. While they may not be as harmful to your health as real cigarettes, it's still a terrible habit to start and people should be dissuaded from starting the habit if they can at all. Marie says that if all the smokers in Ireland gave up smoking this week, the government would fall because mm. of the, <laughs> there'd be no income yeah, okay. from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mary says that vaping can be just as expensive a habit as smoking. She says that the only way to kick the habit is to go cold turkey, plain and simple. It's extremely tough, but at least that way, when you're done, you're done. Okay, and I, I think it is accepted uh, as well. I mean, she might be right, uh, go cold turkey if it works for you, but if it doesn't, I think it's accepted that uh, vaping uh, can help people to give up cigarettes mm. uh, and uh, that it is less harmful, at least, uh, than smoking cigarettes is. The question here is, would you want to start vaping without ever having smoked? Uh, and should children be allowed to buy e-cigarettes? And uh, I suppose uh, that's the view of uh, the physicians in Ireland, uh, that there should be a ban on e-cigarettes to under 18s. Another listener says e-cigarettes were supposed to be the answer to our prayers and now it turns out that there are concerns there too. However, they did help me to give up smoking, but I'm off them that off them mm. as well, says okay, this listener. Yeah, yeah. So mm. I suppose it was that help that was needed mm. at the time. Maraid says that she feels there's no need for under-18s to be using e-cigarettes. Why would they need to if they've never smoked? Yeah. She thinks well, can't must understand be cool or is something. It, I was just yeah, going to say, yeah. is it cool? Is it, it that thing be. of having yeah. something? And, yeah, yeah, you know, and being big. Yeah. You know, quite often uh, children want to grow old, old people yes. want to grow young. Um, We do, Michael, we do. I don't know. I I, I, I vague memories of being young and doing things that I thought made me big. uh, Yes, we all did things that we thought. The problem is, is when you get addicted. Mm. Uh, But what Maraid is saying that, you know, she feels that education is needed, you know, to teach young people about uh, nicotine and how it can be addictive mm, and yeah. she feels that we really need to be doing that at school level in whatever way we can and the same with drugs mm. that, that education is the way to go uh, on the subject of bouncy castles and the cost of insurance uh, listening to your guest about insurance and soon there'll be nothing for our children to enjoy in this country will playgrounds be next Michael mm. if insurance costs keep rising people won't be able to afford to operate is it because of claims now 
that the bouncy castles are being targeted, mm. that the insurance companies won't provide the cover. Well, there's a lot of concern about bouncy castles, but as Linda Murray was telling us, it's not just bouncy castles. It's yes. anywhere you go and have fun. Any kind of leisure activity uh, is now at risk because of uh, the decision of this company to withdraw from the Irish market. Rory from Dundalk was listening yesterday to the d- discussion between Jim Wells mm. uh, from the DUP and Senator Mark Daly, the Fianna Fáil Senator. And he says, I'm originally from Armagh. I would love to know, I'd love to ask Mr Wells, what does he constitute a majority as? Is a majority of one, 100, 1,000, 10,000 or 100,000? I'd love to know. Mm. If there was and when there is a referendum, will he accept a majority decision? And Rory feels it's long past the time that a subcommittee or an Oireachtas committee was put together to work on future structures of a united Ireland, that it's time to have a constitutional convention mm. on a united Ireland and a type of united Ireland that will evolve. Yeah, well, as I understand it, a majority in terms of approval for a united Ireland or reunited Ireland is a simple majority, 50% plus one in other words. Uh, on carbon uh, tax Margaret says the people telling us Michael that we need to pay more carbon tax travel the world by plane and most of them drive big as she puts it gas guzzlers Uh, how did the reps from 200 countries get to Poland for the climate change conference why should the taxpayer foot the bill for their carbon footprint they need to practice what they preach. Yeah, okay. Perhaps uh, there is some merit in that, but uh, of course we do need uh, to travel and we need uh, to meet and we need uh, to discuss. Uh, I think one of the problems about the gas guzzlers is, uh, as we were discussing yesterday with AA Ireland, uh, it's uh, that you have to be able to afford a new car to be able to uh, afford uh, one that is uh, climate friendly uh, and uh, it's something that will lose a lot of people if they introduce these taxes on uh, the existing cars, the diesel and petrol cars uh, and uh, you're expected to buy uh, one of uh, these electric cars. Uh, it's only the wealthy who will be able to afford them. Okay. Going, if I can, just to one comment before we finish mm. on that instant at the blessings of the grave, yeah. the blessing of the graves in Dowdles Hill on Sunday. Uh, Kathleen Lyndon Dog was there and was left badly shaken by the whole thing. But she just wanted to say a big thank you to the lady who was manning the microphone on the Tanai system. She says she was absolutely brilliant and kept everyone there informed as to what was going on and helped to keep them safe. She was very calm mm. and advised people to go up into the graves and stay off the paths because they would be safer and feels that she did sterling work for everybody present. She says she has no idea who the lady is but just wanted to thank her for her calmness and assistance, that she helped everyone greatly and feels it's only fair that she gets recognition for that. Okay, I think that echoes what a a lot of people have been saying and it it really was a miracle that uh, there wasn't uh, more injury and more serious injury. There's reports uh, that that car that was stolen from inside of uh, the graveyard Uh, had been parked up with a nine-year-old girl playing inside it just before it was stolen and uh, the driver proceeded in the way he did. And I'm sure the thoughts of everybody this morning is uh, with Patsy McCabe. Uh, The star's Paul Healy is reporting that Patrick Patsy McCabe, who's in his 70s, is a retired lollipop man from Meadow Grove and uh, he's a a grandfather well-known within the community. He's in his 70s and at the moment in 
Bowmount Hospital being treated uh, for serious injuries as a, a result of what happened in Dowdles Hill. Thanks for that, Marie. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to make comments on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. The Dáil may be in recess, but uh, the Joint Committee on Communications is uh, to meet in Leinster House today in private session to discuss its report in the hope of finalising its report on the National Broadband Plan. We're joined uh, by uh, Seamus Boland, Chief Executive of Irish Rural Link now. And a very good morning to you, Seamus, and uh, thanks morning, for joining us. Uh, it seems unlikely that they will conclude uh, the report and sign off on it today. Uh, the Irish Examiner reporting yesterday that Fianna Fáil has its uh, concerns and wants to delay this uh, to give it some more time for consideration. Yeah, that that does look to be the case. And, uh, OK, I suppose uh, that's the, the politics of the situation, so we can't really dictate or control that. I suppose from an Irish Rural Inc. perspective, running with this programme since 2007, canvassing, campaigning, and talking about and, and seen through a number of missed promises, not delivered promises, mm. we'll be saying to the committee... Uh, we need broadband. We we should have got it 10 years ago. We don't want to delay it for another 10 years or even two years. It has to happen. So whatever they conclude in the report, it needs to be announcing broadband. And uh, I suppose everybody wants the same thing. They want to announce broadband. They want to announce the best type of broadband and how that broadband is delivered will be done quickly. Uh, and that is one of the concerns that Fianna Fáil has, uh, apparently. They're concerned that this may take up to seven years to be rolled out. Yeah, and, and again, I have heard that concern. Uh, I suppose the counter to that is government are saying it won't. Uh, the company charged with awarding it said it won't. But who do you believe? I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm not certainly a technological expert. Mm. Um, but again, what I've asked if all to do is say precisely why they think it will be delayed that long, because that would be difficult to understand, given the technology that's been rolled out. It's not rocket science. It's not new stuff. Uh, but So why did it take that long? I don't know. Uh, but I do know that at the moment... Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. Businesses in rural parts, mm. in business parks, even radio stations like yourself mm-hmm. who depend on it are wondering, uh, you know, have we got a long-term future under the present system? Because people have to make decisions and they put them off for far too long. Not to, to be able to take them now in the next year yeah. really adds more hardship to the whole situation. Well, will we still be using broadband in 2026? Well, we, we you know, that, yeah. and that that could be when people are about to be connected under this yeah. five billion yeah. euro plan. It, indeed, uh, the, the, I mean the reality is, um, we heard another report this morning talking about medical services and, and health services. Uh, it can't be met in the, in the south or the, the eastern part yeah. of the country, the Dublin area of the country, because the population is too high. That population is going to increase because most of the jobs created in Ireland are in that part of the world, and that's one of the significant factors is broadband. So we really can't be waiting around for too long uh, before we bring it to everywhere else and and try and use it as a factor to rebalance the population. Mm. More haste, less speed, I suppose, is the old adage. And is it worth stepping back 
for a, a, a little while to wonder if it can be done quicker. One of the questions being asked is if a mixed model would result in a quicker rollout uh, to use partial fibre uh, to deliver broadband everywhere. Well, I would be extremely hesitant to look at something that gives you a partial system or partial fibre. Remember, in Ireland, we have uh, we have two levels of electricity. We have the electricity on the eastern side and the electricity on the western side. So you could never have a major company or a major manufacturer on the west of the Shannon or, or even down south or even parts of the Midlands because we have a two-tier electricity. If we end up with a two-tier broadband system, the same applies. So I'm very worried when I hear we might do a partial uh, broadband technology because what they mean is the partial will end up being the one used in the western side or even the midlands or even the northwest mm. um, or even the border areas which is not far uh, you know from mm-hmm. you uh, so when I hear that I know that means the lesser populated areas we get the partial and then they'll never develop Okay, well, we've had uh, the spanner in the works from air as well because uh, people will know that uh, they've been uh, suggesting that it could be done for less than a a billion uh, and uh, that really did raise some eyebrows and ask people, uh, lead to people asking why are we spending three billion or five billion as the case may be. But the government has dismissed this now, it seems. They're saying that it's not a feasible... Yeah. It's been kind of dismissed by loads of people, not just the political system, not just the government, but by a lot of technological Mm. experts as well. And what we asked there to do was uh, to come out front, come out into the public arena. Don't be going into an Oireachtas committee where you're under limited privilege and you can, you know, come out properly and say to people, this is exactly what we can do for one million or even less. This is exactly the areas that we cover, mm. uh, and and this is the number of households that we'll reach, and this is the number of households we won't reach. Uh, but they haven't done that, and and they haven't convinced not not just the political system, but they haven't convinced the various technology experts that we are in contact that what they're promising could be is first of all deliverable, and even in terms of time frame. Uh, it looks like it could be an ongoing thing lasting up to 10 years. So uh, by all means, we would love if somebody could deliver it for half or quarter the price. But we want we want the delivery of, of the expected technology. And, mm. you know, as, as I say, delivering a cow <laughs> that mm. only gives two pints of milk when we expect two gallons, that's not what we want. But we're going to be paying air to some degree, aren't we? Because uh, yeah. Granaham Accord are going to end up renting the poles from them. They are. I mean, this is this is the ridiculous situation, and this is, goes back to the nationalisation of telecom all those years ago. Mm. Uh, yes, one way or another, uh, we're going to be paying air, or if we do the ESB, we're going to be paying ESB. Uh, so it was always it was always whoever owned the poles, whichever set of poles, we're going to get some benefit out of this. But again, I challenge air to come out in public say exactly who uh, they're, they're going to reach, uh, the number of households, etc., and the price. That was another thing. Uh, mm. It seemed to me that their prices to the individual business or household would be quite high. Uh, and again, you know, with broadband, but uncompetitive broadband doesn't help the situation either. 
Okay, but uh, uh, relatively high in uh, the sense that it might be a hundred or eighty euro more uh, for individuals uh, compared yeah. to three billion versus one billion for the yeah. state. Yeah, I mean absolutely. But again, as I said, I was when I heard that, I, I mm. my heart skipped a beat as well, like everyone else. I thought, great. I mean, if mm. you can do that, great. You know, yeah. you haven't. I mean, you were talking about the health services uh, yeah. earlier on. We'll be talking about that again in a moment. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, when, when you look at what you can do with that sort of yeah. money, you can build roads, you can build hospitals, you can employ Gardaí and so on. Yeah, yeah. And and really, uh, you know, Michael, what mm. we're talking about, are we getting the proper broadband service for that money? Or are we getting the car that has a new reg plate but is actually 10 years old. So what are we getting for what they're in terms of pay? And you know the, the story, you, you get what you pay for. So what we're trying to figure out is, and what they haven't clarified is, are we getting the same quality of broadband that's required mm. for a lesser price? And yeah. they haven't answered that. Okay, and in seven years from now, if what we get then is seven years old? <laughs> you see that you, exactly, and I mean we're we're back to uh, the square one. We do know that the fiber technology, which is really what mm. our Suralink would have been saying long ago, is well and truly future proof for for a long time to come. There hasn't been any other technology to equal it. People talk about the G um, technology mm. that's dependent on mobile uh, platforms, etc. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. very very unreliable. Um, especially if you're in a, in a long-term business or a business using heavy heavy uh, tranches of broadband. So what we are talking about is fibre optic. Um, look, that's what we want delivered. What price? Just tell us the price and be honest about it and tell us how many households are delivering it to. OK, well, the Rochester Committee will be considering all of this at, uh, around midday today. We leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you all indeed right. for joining us. Seamus Boland, Chief Executive of Irish Rural Link. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk about uh, the geographic imbalance in health services and how County Meath is uh, the poor cousin, if you like, or the ESRI report that we've been hearing about uh, this morning. It's called Geographic Profile of Healthcare Needs and Non-Acute Healthcare Supply in Ireland. This is to do with uh, the so-called Slanchicare report and its recommendations to move patient treatment away from hospitals and into the community. The study focuses on the locations of 10 of the most used forms of healthcare, including GPs, community and public health nurses, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, speech and language therapy, social workers, counsellors and psychologists, and long-term residential care and home care. It says uh, that there are significant inequalities in the supply of health services across the counties in this country and that this will have important implications for future planning of the Irish health system and specifically in adopting the Sludge Care recommendations. Uh, there are seven counties uh, that have uh, the largest shortfall. One of them is County Meath with more than 10% below the national average in terms of supply. Let's uh, hear more on this now by speaking to Gerry O'Connor Finnegal councillor in Meath and independent councillor Nick Killian. Good morning to both of you and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. Gerry O'Connor, why do you think uh, this is uh, the case and why Meath is 10% behind in terms of providing these uh, services? 
Well, I think it's it's it's, it's very very uh, it's very simple. Uh, it's like all of it, the the funding that we've got in our county. Uh, it's not tracking the growing populations. That's the main problem with the, with the current provision of, of healthcare. It's not tracking the growing population. So what Strontia Care is trying to do is to set up the six regional uh, areas, which will, which will include, if you look at that, that map, it'll include North Dublin, Mead, Lell, Cavan, and Monaghan, and set, <coughs> set them up as Area A, so that we, so that the, the, the healthcare can be focused within those areas and empowered. And, and obviously, capital funding has to come with it. It also brings back into play something that has went off the the, the, the table for a while, which is the regional health, the regional uh, hospital for for for, for Navan. Uh, because in the Dublin group that they were in, it's and that's gone out with Strange Care, which should be in place. It, it's already started, uh, but the full report will be out in twelve months' time. It's essential that 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 this is addressed in Strange Care, uh, so that we, we we can get a situation where every citizen in the country, including every citizen in their mm-hmm. county. Is treated equally. Would, would it be fair to say that uh, the problem lies with decisions made by Mead County Council in line with government policy, and that Mead has been designed as a motel or a glorified bedroom for commuters, uh, and that instead of making planning decisions on the basis of it being a good place to live, whereby you've got a green for children to play on, you've got shops for people to go to, and a doctor's surgery up the road, that what was done was houses were supplied. I think there's, there's an element of truth in that, Michael. But if you look at the last two to three county development plans, if you look at what has been done in the last term, the last five years with the economic strategy, I think you'll see that Mead County Council has has now got completely done an about face in relation to it. Uh, the housing is there. The housing uh, has been planned for 14 years. It's coming through now, but the services are, are hopefully coming through with it. And I think we're seeing in education, and we're seeing in healthcare, we're seeing it in infrastructure, roads, we're seeing now where the problems are and, and that hopefully going to be addressed. OK, well, if you're right, uh, <clears throat> I presume then that's retrospectively. It seems very unfair, Nick Killian, for people to have fewer services in County Mead than they would have if they were living elsewhere. Well, as you're right, Michael, as, as, as um, Jerry has indicated, this goes back to the 1990s when the housing boom started. And at that time, we had the old regional um, health boards. Then we had the HSE. And now we have today the HSE plus a, a new regional health forms coming down the road. And Slauncha Care at the side of that, which, you know, is, is a great idea provided the funding and everything else is put into it by government. I mean, there's been a fall down in the investment in health services in Mead, not just by this government, but by previous governments as well. I mean, one of the, the worst aspects of this, looking at the report this morning, which is based on 2014 figures by the ESRI, mm. is that Mead has actually the lowest number of GPs per head of population than all of the other counties in the country. We're actually at the very bottom of GP services. And in a growing population, and I mean, I'm sure Jerry knows it, I know it here in Nertoth, uh, the lack of GPs that we have. We need more GPs. They're not staying here. They're exiting once they get um, their degrees and they're going out of the country. And we're going abroad then and we're advertising, trying to get uh, foreign GPs to come in and, and work here. But, uh, but, but uh, every corner of the country faces th- those challenges, the same challenges uh, in that respect, uh, but uh, fewer of them in me, as you say. Why is that yes. the case? Um, I 
you know, again, it goes back to, to um, look, I, I was on the Regional Health Forum for five mm. years and it was all it was was a talking shop. Yeah. There was never answers to the questions we would ask on investment in health provision and health services. And the un, until health is put at the top of the agenda, uh, very much at the top of the agenda in the provision of services. And, you know, if you come to current day, which is again affecting, the HSE has made a decision not to, on a moratorium on staff provision. And that's having huge effects and it's going to work its way down into community services. I mean, funnily enough, on, on the actual graphs that have been shown, we're actually doing very well in home care provision. Now, I know a lot of people, your listeners this morning, mm. and say, Nick Killian, you're talking rubbish. But in fact, we fare yeah. quite well in comparison even to, to Dublin. But until such time as, and I worked in the disability services, as you know, Michael, I worked in it for mm. 15 years. And to, to, to this day, p- uh, children and people with disabilities and parents are still fighting every day of the week for a service, for lack of um, occupational therapy. Uh, therapists, mm. speech and language therapists. We have them in the country. We're educating them. We're paying thousands upon thousands every year educating and they're exiting the country. We're not holding on to the people that are coming through the education system. Why? Because they're not happy with the pay system. They're not happy with the uh, career paths that can be provided. And while Slantry Care is in essence a very good uh, prospect for the future, until we cure the ills that we have today, Slanty Care will fail. Well, that seems to be what the ESRI is saying. Uh, Jerry O'Connor, they're suggesting that uh, unless uh, there is a, a, an increase in the supply of non-acute care in counties like me, that it will be impossible to achieve equity. Yeah, and I think exactly that's exactly what, what Slanty Care has actually set out. It's a 10-year vision, it's transform the health and social because we know it's not working like uh, Nick has outlined uh, the history there from uh, from uh, the Eastern Health Board North Eastern Health Board into HSC we know it's not working this is a cross party Oroctus report that was done in 2017 to try and put a shape in it going forward to address the issues in relation to this I mean for example the, Nick mentioned the, the, the GPs it's a huge problem mm. huge problem in, in all areas the, the government have put in 210 million of an investment into a package. Now that's been accepted by about 90% of the GPs. So hopefully that will maybe help with the retention of GPs in this country. Uh, and you must, you must remember too, like the it is a pipe dream, though, isn't it? Slanty care is nothing more than a pipe dream at the moment. Well, I, th- I tell you what, if you don't have plans and mm. you don't work to those plans, you will end up in 10 years' time still be the first in the HSE and, and we know it's not working. OK, but how are we ever going to fund it? I, I mean, this is the question that nobody can or will answer. No, the Department of Health, I mean, I think the Minister has answered it, uh, uh, Michael. He's basically said that, first of all, to get this thing going, there's 23 million mm. being put into it to set up the, 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 the group to, put, to come back to government within 12 months. Mm. But then the whole... Department of Health budget will be will be tuned and focus in onto this ten uh, year plan. So there's already an existing health budget there, and we know that. Well, there is. Uh, we've we never spent more uh, 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 than, than we do at the moment. We're spending about seventeen billion on health, but add four billion to that so that you have a, a single tier system. Well, we're sucking the blood out of it now of yeah. the funding now with the, uh, the children's hospital. Every service in the HSE is now being cut on the back of the children's hospital. 
that's a fact. I mean, I know it. But do, uh, do, I know it from, from, from people do, do, who are working. Do you not want a children's hospital, Nick Killian? Of course I want a children's hospital, but the cost of this particular children's hospital um, is, is way out of kilter as to what it's, it would cost in other countries. And we are now going to pay the price. And one of the big concerns I have is that we have a growing older population in County Mead. You had a situation in the in the noughties where families moved out here and the mums and dads followed them. Those people are now going into their 70s and into their 80s. Mm. And care provision is simply not there. We're depending now on um, community care services that we cannot provide uh, in the best way possible. And we're pouring money down the drain at the present time on agency staff going in to provide care all around our community care services and the moratorium. We won't hire and take on the staff that's needed, which would save us at least 25% in overheads and costs on staff costs as it stands. So there, there's things happening at this point in time that this government can correct and that the HSE can correct. And I hope this man, Paul Reid, um, who was a very good manager in Fingal, mm. brings those qualities to the HSE and cuts the shaft the chaff that's there and puts it down to frontline services. Okay, that's uh, the new chief executive of the HSE. Speaking of Fingal, uh, the Irish Times is reporting today of a planning application for a 50 million euro hospital. This would be a private hospital, of course, with 40 beds. It's been lodged with Fingal County Council. James Riley is lauding it, uh, undoubtedly uh, so, uh, as the former Minister for Health, saying it'll take a lot of pressure off Bowmount and the matter. It'll have uh, 40 day case beds uh, at a cost of €50 million. Euro, I suppose it, it puts it into perspective what can be done. 500 jobs, 8 stories, uh, and uh, for small change in terms of what we're going to spend on the Children's Hospital, Jerry. O'Connor. Yeah, it's a fair point. It was thankfully made at Children's Hospital uh, and, we, and that's been well documented and debated. The reality is we need a Children's Hospital. Uh, the reality is uh, whatever the cost is, it needs to be done. Uh, we, we need a, a hospital for, for children. But we need a regional I mean, hospital, don't we? <clears throat> we I, I agree. Yeah, we need a but, but, but it's and too, it's too costly. costly. No, I think this launch of care, uh, if it's given a chance, if if if, if all of the health providers mm. and all of the, the, the voluntary people work together this. And there is public But I think it was 2008 when we said we needed a, a, a regional mm. hospital. Yeah. Uh, and we decided it was too expensive, so we're not having one. No, it was the regional hospital, I think at the time, in 2008, I wasn't in context at the time, but I think mm. at the time it was, it was suggested it was going to be provided by a PPP, a public-private partnership. Uh, I think that's what it was, what was suggested at the time. That, that's my recollection of it anyway. Uh, but we do need it. We couldn't have a regional hospital in Navan in the old grouping prior yeah, to Santa yeah. Care because we were, we were grouped for Connolly Hospital, we were grouped in the Dublin group. We weren't in the region. Mm, well, I think the suggestion was that the hospital <clears> would be built by the state and then Finnegale promised to do it through a PPP in the 2011 campaign. But that's uh, history at this stage. But the point remains the same. We couldn't afford one, PPP or otherwise, uh, and uh, we didn't get one. No, you're fair too, but you have to must you must also look at the bigger picture. Also, that the last budget is the first time in ten years that a government has balanced the books. We've come through the worst recession ever in history. It's the first time. It's only now that we can see uh, we can start making plans for the future based on a balanced uh, uh, books, so that we can actually mm. start putting the money in where we need to put it in. And, and definitely, this ESRI report is very, very important for our county. It, it highlights yet again where we've been underfunded 
And hopefully this will, through sponsor care, allow us to address those issues in a more localised manner, which okay. is what was needed. Okay, does but that like make you feel a little bit more optimistic, Nick Killian? No, absolutely not, because I'll tell you, we still have the lowest per head of population funding at local authority level. We have the lowest number of Gardaí per head of population. And th- these are facts coming from the Gardaí themselves. The facts are there. Jerry has alluded to it, to be fair to him, in the mm. council chamber over the years. We are a county that has been left behind financially uh, in, in, from the perspective of funding. Well, and plenty of houses, plenty of houses, houses, plenty yeah. of people in those houses uh, and travelling elsewhere for jobs and services, it, it would seem. Well, uh, we're trying our damnedest on the jobs front mm. and, uh, you know, that they're hard to get and they're going to be harder to get and after today, God knows what's going to happen down the road. Uh, all we can do is be try to be positive and hope that okay. um, this guy Johnston, uh, Johnson, whatever his name is, will, what do you call it, deliver <laughs> with us and, and, and that there'll be a Brexit will work out from our country because if it doesn't, the health services will, go, will, will suffer as well. All right, I've got to leave there. Thanks to both of you for spending the time with us uh, this morning. Jerry O'Connor, Fine Gael Councillor and Independent Councillor in Meath, Nick Killian. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, Garda are investigating a number of incidents which perhaps you can assist with. Uh, we are joined by Garda Liam Hennessy of Slane Garda Station for this week's report. And we begin in Drogheda with uh, theft from Glenview, uh, which happened around the 16th, 17th of this month. Sometime during the night of last Tuesday into Wednesday, the 16th and 17th of July last, a white crew cab was stolen from a house in the Glenview Estate in Drogheda. The van can be described as a white Fiat crew cab bearing the registration plate 132MN and it had been locked and parked in the owner's driveway on the night in question. My colleagues in Drogheda Garda Station wish to speak with anyone who saw or heard anything unusual in the Glenview Estate last Tuesday night into Wednesday morning or indeed have seen this vehicle since. Okay, and uh, we go to RD next uh, where Garda are investigating a burglary, two burglaries in fact. That's right, two burglaries occurred in the RD area on Friday morning last the 19th of July. The houses were located in the Heathergate Close and Rotori Housing Estates. These crimes occurred between 9am and 12 midday and some items of jewellery were taken from each house. My colleagues at RD Garda Station are anxious to speak with anyone who saw anything suspicious in the Heathergate Close or Rotori Housing Estates on Friday morning last. Okay, we go to Navin next uh, where some uh, items were stolen about a a week ago and I suppose it's uh, that time of the year, lovely day outside and people will be doing their gardens. People are reminded uh, to lock up uh, their tools uh, and indeed uh, to watch out if uh, they're being offered gardening equipment. That's right, Michael. A garage was broken into on the Boyne Road in Navin sometime during the day on Tuesday last, the 16th of July. A set of tailor-made golf clubs and gardening equipment, including a Honda mower, were taken during the course of this burglary. My colleagues at Navangarda Station are looking for anyone with any information that could be that could help them solve this crime to come forward and make contact with them. Okay, another burglary to report on this one at Balrenny Cross in Slane. That's right. A house was burgled at Balrenny Cross on the N2 between Cullen and Slane on Thursday around lunchtime. It occurred between midday and 3:30 p.m. Some items of jewellery were taken during the course of this burglary. This is a main artery and a very busy road, 
and the Gardaí at Slane Garda station wished to speak with anyone who saw any unusual activity in the Balrenny Cross area on Thursday morning last to make contact with us. A bad week for burglaries all told and uh, the next uh, report is of a, a burglary in Dundalk in Ravensdale. A burglary occurred at Ballymacallit Ravensdale between 10.30am and 3.30pm on Saturday the 20th of July 2019. The culprits gained entry through a window in the house, which was vacant at the time. A quantity of jewellery and clothing and a set of binoculars were stolen during the course of this burglary. My colleagues at Dramad Garda Station are looking for help from any member of the public who saw or heard anything unusual in the Ballymacallit area of Ravensdale on Saturday last to help them solve this crime. Next to uh, licensed premises in Slane and uh, kegs of beer, I take it, that were stolen. There were a number of kegs were stolen from outside a licensed premises on the Drogheda Road in Slane between 9.30am and 10am on Wednesday morning last, the 17th of July. The culprits drove a white van and loaded a number of kegs into this van outside the pub. This is a busy road linking Drogheda with Navan, and the Gardaí at Slane are anxious to speak with anyone who may have witnessed this crime taking place to come forward and help them with their inquiries. Okay, and we conclude uh, this week with uh, an appeal for people to come forward if uh, they were at the blessings of uh, the graves at St. Patrick's Cemetery in Dowdles Hill on Sunday. I suppose at this stage uh, people are aware of uh, the atrocious incident uh, that resulted in uh, this elderly man in hospital receiving treatment uh, this morning. Indeed, Michael, a very serious incident occurred at St. Patrick's Cemetery in Dowdles Hill outside Dundalk on Sunday last, the 21st of July. The annual blessing of the grave ceremony was taking place there at this time. A vehicle was stolen from the area and driven at speed through the large group of people who were attending the cemetery. One person has since been arrested and my colleagues at Dundalk Garda Station wish to speak with anyone who has video footage or can help them in any way to solve what was a very distressing and frightening occurrence for the large group of people in attendance. And Just at this point, Michael, I'd like to wish Mr McCabe a speedy recovery and indeed anyone who was injured or affected by this very serious incident. Absolutely. I think it'll uh, be imprinted on the minds of many people uh, who were there paying respect to their loved ones on Sunday. Thank you indeed, Garda Liam Hennessy of Slane Garda Station. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, in the minute or so that we have left, let's go back uh, to some more of the calls that have been coming to us. Marie is back in studio. I am indeed. And you have uh, some more comments for us. I do indeed. Kevin phoned in this morning just in relation to various discussions around carbon tax and the use of electric cars and he's in the motor trade for 45 years and he says that there's nothing new about electric cars they've been around a while and he says that there's a few questions that never seem to be asked or answered in relation to this how many charging points do they think they are going to need for people using electric cars is it going to go into thousands you can fill up your diesel or petrol in five minutes it takes much longer to charge a car he says if you put a charge point in any house and anybody that has three cars in a mm. house, for example, one person would have to get up during the night then to charge mm. their car because you'd only have the one point. He says there's a lot that has to be thought out in relation to this. Also, the batteries in electric cars, he says they're dear to recycle. The life length of them is about five to seven years and they cost a couple of thousand to replace. He says the streets would have to be ripped up to put cables in for all the electric points. Mm. 
but he doesn't see much talk about any of this. Well, there has been quite a, a lot of talk and indeed it's uh, part of uh, the government's uh, climate change plan, that big document uh, that was uh, released last month. Uh, and uh, I think the idea is that eventually there would be charging points in every household, which is about 1.64 million houses in the country uh, eventually and indeed uh, along the way on the routes, uh, as many I'm sure as uh, we have at the moment in terms of uh, garages and uh, petrol stations and so on. But uh, interesting questions uh, and uh, I suppose time will tell is a phrase that comes to mind because a lot of it is future technology. We have to leave it there for the moment though. Thanks Marie, thanks to everybody who has been in touch. God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.